0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chris Claremont, recommending that you take a listen to Epic Marvel
1: Podcast.
0: Welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Tomb of Dracula, um, episode 3A, following the uh, the Tomb of Dracula Complete Collections. This is the Complete Collection, volume 3, covering a period of the Tomb of Dracula from 1974 to 1975. I am your host, Curtis Findlay.
1: And I am your Tomb of Dracula co-host, Josh Tan.
0: And we have um, an extremely spooky episode for you to tie in with Halloween. We've been doing this now for the the past two Halloweens, talking about Dracula on the podcast. And so I'm glad that you're here again with me, Josh, to talk about Dracula once again.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, we're, we're pot committed at this point. We still have <laughs> yeah. 40 more issues and various tie-ins to go, so...
0: That's right. And then after that, we're going to uh, loop back around and do the Dracula Lives. So we've got a lot of Dracula content to to keep us satisfied for many years to come here. So that's an important note I want to make. We're going to be talking about the Tomb of Dracula Complete Collection Volume 3, but we are only going to be talking about um, Tomb of Dracula... In this episode, it'll be Tomb of Dracula number 25 to 30, plus giant-sized Dracula number three. We won't be talking about any of the Dracula Live stories, even though there is one story that ties into these issues here, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about them another time.
1: That's correct. Yeah, there's actually, they referenced the, those black and white stories a couple of times, and um, I, I it's kind of interesting to see how much of that is actually tying in, considering they were meant for a different audience, a more adult audience yeah
0: but it's great i love it when they they throw those little things in there it's like they want you to buy the other the other titles and (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah oh yeah (laughs) ah well okay so this is Volume 3, but tell me, Josh, what are people going to need to know before jumping into this volume?
1: Besides reading the first 24 issues.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> if, they're, if they're not going to do that, if they're like, forget yes. those issues, I'm just going to read yeah. this one book. What are the plot points that they need to know?
1: Uh, the, the main plot points, uh, our team of vampire hunters we've been following are uh, kind of displaced. Uh, they're all kind of sort of going their separate ways at this moment. Uh, they, they all... Believe Dracula has been vanquished. Uh, You know, of course, he's not. He's he's operating kind of without their knowledge currently. One of the team members, Taj, he's gone back home to India, and uh, we're starting to follow his. It's a subplot that's going to start to become the main plot, but that is uh, another kind of uh, storyline being weaved into here. And, uh, a small one from the last time we, the last collection was uh, a character called Sheila Whittier and not really seduced by Dracula, but they, he almost took a liking to her, didn't turn her into a vampire or anything like that, but, uh, it's kind of living in her castle and, um, I don't know, she, she had a mutual attraction to him, but that's kind of all you really need to know about Sheila. And there's a, there's a lot more of her, even in this, these, these issues here that we're going to read.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good recap. Um, they, we, you really do benefit from reading the other two volumes first, though. So uh, it's this is not a standalone volume. Although, having said that, you can still jump into this because the way Marv Wolfman writes, yes, he, he does a really good job of bringing people up to speed, no problem. So if you happen to just stumble upon this volume, go ahead and read it. It's still really enjoyable.
1: I, I definitely agree with that, um, and, and that's really a testament to the the way comics were written yeah. uh, during the Bronze Age, especially that I just don't think exists anymore. You 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 really they they operate under you know any comic is somebody's first comic, and sometimes the writers would really go real heavy handed. You get your three pages of you know filler to tell you what happened. This is different. This Marv Wolfman is a guy who is so good at weaving in subplots and reminding you subtly throughout that, hey, this is still going on, that it, you really can jump right in and, and just start going.
0: One of the things uh, that has is a benefit is that Tomb of Dracula doesn't have a long convoluted history at Marvel. So you can jump into this a lot easier than, say, even Fantastic Four at this, at this point, because in the 70s of Fantastic Four we've already got established villains and established plot lines and characters and such. Uh-huh. Uh, but *Tuma Dracula
1: doesn't have any of that. Yeah. It, it, uh, it doesn't have a lot of the crossovers. Uh, it, it's in the Marvel universe, but it really not only gets to operate in its own way, but it's also basically in London um, for the most part too. So a lot of the primary Marvel stuff isn't happening there. So right. yep. it, it, it does get to, at least at this point, it's still kind of operating, by itself for the most part
0: now all of you who are listening to this podcast uh, are probably hopefully are fans of the epic collections these two madracula books are pretty much just epic collections uh but they don't call them epic collections they're called complete collections not sure why they decided to do that but um that's how it is so the quality of this book is exactly the same as you would find in any typical epic collection it's really really good 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 quality the pages of this particular volume are a little thinner than the previous two volumes because marvel was going through a little bit of a thin page um phase but mm-hmm. they don't feel bad they don't feel bad at all
1: no and you know that aside from the trade dress yeah you're absolutely right and with the fact that they interweave those uh, black and white magazines right in there I mean, it, it really is complete collection. They, they do a really good job with it. I'm curious why they did it this way and not epic. Maybe the subject matter, but it's it's hard to say. I mean, we, we are getting like, you know, Kill Raven and some of these other, you know, non-mainstream type characters coming in epic collections. They just did Morbius, two of those, and they do the Black and White magazine parts in, in those as well. So it's, it's it is odd.
0: Well, I think the epic collection has evolved over time. Uh, when it, true, when yeah. it first created, when the first Tomb of Dracula book came out for almost five years ago, it was it would have been five years ago now that the first mm. Tomb of D- Dracula complete collection came out. Uh, the, the epic collections, they, they didn't include the, the more mature black and white material. Uh, they stuck pretty much exclusively to superheroes. But yes, now mm-hmm. that it's five years past... They decided to change their mind, and they and that's totally fine. the The epic collection has now opened up to a lot more of that kind of stuff. So I would have imagined that if Tomb of Dracula were to come out today, it would it might be an epic collection rather than a complete collection. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got some listener comments. I asked on Facebook, and on Instagram, and on Twitter for comments on this particular volume, and here's what some people had to say. Uh, Kyle says the Hannibal King issue is one of my favorites. That's issue number 25, the first one that we're going to talk about here. The story manages to make Dracula undeniably evil while giving him more complexity than many other versions of the character. Just great stories all around. What else can you expect from such a legendary run? Yeah. And Rich also says the same thing. Issue 25 introduces a new supporting character, Hannibal King, one of my favorites. He has a great dynamic with Blade later on.
1: I, uh, I agree with, with both of those sentiments. 25 was one of my favorites in this book. And um, it, it shows also how Marv Wolfman is so diverse in his writing because it feels like a like a detective story. It was really cool. Yeah.
0: And over on Twitter, we have one uh, comment from a guy by the handle, Mr. Rice. And he says, I continued to enjoy this volume, but I felt like this had a sense of treading water. What with the team being a part for almost all of it. There were still some cracking stories, though. Uh, and tell me what you think of this comment, Josh. I'm not sure what to make mm. of it. He says, I think Lilith is a very interesting supernatural take on the early
1: Ms. Marvel. Hmm, it's an interesting uh, way to look at it. Um... Well, I guess because I haven't read enough of Lilith to, I guess, make that comparison yet. I know she's in a Vampire Tales issue that we haven't read. Yeah. Uh, and maybe there's m- more to this volume that we also just haven't got to yet. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't see the connection, at least not yet.
0: My only guess is that Miss Marvel is born out of the women's liberation movement of the 70s. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Lilith... Is also because this is also the early '70s, pretty much exactly the same time. I wonder if it's also sort of to to bring in the you know the more progressive female strong strong female character, kind of a counterpoint to the male Dracula character
1: it could be where I'm curious where Vampirella first hit pop culture. Cause I believe she was,
0: she's around this time too in the Warren magazines, right?
1: Right. Um, I wonder if Marvel just saw her and was like, well, we're trying to do things with Dracula. Let's, let's make sure we get a a Dracula related, you know, female character. It's possible. I I imagine we're going to see more of her as we go along. I mean, maybe we remind our listeners, you know, you and I are doing this, you know, for the first time experiencing the, these, uh, stories, so everything's new to us. So, That's this great. is uh, part of the fun of it.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Dying Breed Collectors. That's dyingbreedcollectors.com. And if you enter the code EPIC Marvel Podcast, all one word, when you're at the checkout, then you will receive an extra 10% off of any Epic Collection that you purchase. And you know what? Just because we're feeling nice for the entire month of November 2021, uh, we're going to give you an extra 15% off of Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection Volume 6, The Death of Captain Stacy. So if you're looking for that one and you want to save 15%, use the code EPICMARVELPODCAST, and that's at dyingbreedcollectors.com. Okay, why don't we go into our issues and get to the, the meat of the episode here. We're going to start with issue number 25. And this one is called Night of the Blood Stalker. And right off the bat, I love the way that this story is told because it's told like, like a noir detective story. Mm-hmm. And so we are introduced to this new character named Hannibal King. And this woman comes into his office with a problem. Um, her husband has been killed and and uh, he wants and she wants the detective the private investigator to find the killer and of course the killer happens to be Dracula uh, we could all guess that because this is Dracula's book after all <laughs> uh, but what we didn't know is that uh, Hannibal King has a long history with Dracula and in the end we find that it has a great reveal at the very end this is a spoiler for anyone who... Uh, who (laughs) hasn't read this um that we find out that he himself is a vampire this whole story is excellent really Mm -hmm. really great
1: there's a nice slow burn with the fact that yeah it's revealed at the very end but even there's a few times where he's thrown out of very tall buildings out of uh, windows and, and he's unscathed Yes. and at one point Dracula calls him I'm your master uh, I forget exactly the thing but he he refers and, and we don't know this yet we don't understand. so th- they hint at it a couple of times but yep. if you don't if you don't know he's a vampire going in you, you just I don't know kind of just pass it and keep going
0: well I figured it out on page 10. Okay, page 10 of this complete collection because he's mm-hmm. in a bar and you see a mirror behind the bar oh, of the guy, and there's no wow. he doesn't have a reflection in that mirror.
1: That and that I completely missed that. That is a great detail. Wow. Yeah, so good. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, this this whole this whole one was really good. Um I really liked the whole the whole bat well, right before that on page nine, we get this creepy, creepy mini story about a plane that comes in and Everybody on board was drained of their blood, and I guess yeah. this specifically references uh, a Vampire Tales. It's actually Vampire Tales issue six, uh, which had come out in August of seventy four, so a few months prior to this. So again, they're referencing those black and white uh, magazines. But you know, he at this point, Hannibal King is talking to the woman here, Adrian, about why he thinks it's a vampire, and he tells this story just very matter of fact and it just comes across very very i don't know creepy a lot of it has to do as we've said in previous episodes gene colin's artwork is superb it really is with with tom palmer inking i believe it's still tom palmer
0: it is all the way to the end
1: okay yeah i I think i've said this in one of the previous episodes not many people can ink somebody like gene colin and make it look good or or dare i say better but he's (laughs) one of them that does
0: yeah, you're right. I absolutely love it. He they, The thing about Gene is that he uses really big panels, uh-huh. and so you can get a lot of great detail and great composition, but, uh, and, but he's also able to tell the story in that amount of panels as well be, because when you use bigger panels, you have uh-huh. fewer panels just in general to be able to tell your story. So for him to be able to adequately um, convey the action in fewer panels is a real is a real gift. So oftentimes you'll find that um, he'll have panels where uh, a lot of action happens in one panel to convey a passage of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I have an example in this issue to point to, but I'll bring it up if I see it again, because uh, because he's really quite brilliant at it. Jack Kirby also did that a lot.
1: Uh, Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure there was something in our reading that showed that I wanted to point out on page 13 of the, uh, the complete collection here. One of the things that Colin does as well is he's one of these guys that knows how to position a camera in such unique ways to show different angles, and it instantly makes it so the the middle panel on the bottom here, yeah, where Frank is is drawing the gun that particular stance, the way that it's it's he's kind of looking to the side but looking forward, and we're looking kind of up at him. Totally. Uh, it, it almost looks, I don't know, It's that takes, again, like you said, a gift. Uh, to think, to put the camera there to draw that picture, it adds to the suspense, the, suspense, the drama. Um, he does that throughout. I mean, he did that pretty much in everything. He draws, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I know a lot of people who don't like Gene Colan because he's kind of loosey-goosey with how he draws. And ultimately, it just depends. He's more of a—he draws the mood better than anybody else.
0: That's true. That's a good way to put it. He's a great draftsman. He's a—he—he he can set up his compositions beautifully. He has—he mm-hmm. has an incredible sense of shadows and and textures. Oh, absolutely. Um, but because he's so loose, yeah. If you get the wrong inker on him, who doesn't know how to interpret his lines properly, then mm-hmm. he does look a little off.
1: Yeah, and with this medium being what it is, uh, it's almost—it's a shame they couldn't just print his stuff in the original pencils. Because he does a lot with uh, with speed and motion lines, and he does a lot of uh, like uh, fog and uh, mist. That's right. Um, And it's really hard to ink those things.
0: Uh, so what do you think about Hannibal King as a character?
1: So I am very intrigued with this guy. I, with him being a private investigator and a vampire, they set this up to be, this could have been such a cool series all by itself. Um, you know, it's it's night and day different uh, from the Ryan Reynolds interpretation from Blade Trinity. If anybody right. you know and watched that, or I know most people hate that movie, <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely not the Ryan Reynolds version. This is this is very much. It feels like that '70s. Um, I don't know uh, TV show. Not necessarily like a Columbo, but you could see this being a really cool '70s like detective show. And I don't know. I, I really. I'm i assuming we're going to see more of them uh, as we go forward, but. In the rest of our reading for this episode, we do not get back to him. But yeah. they introduced him for a reason. So, Well, yeah. I mean,
0: one of the listener comments said that he has interactions with with Blade a little while uh, in, in the future, upcoming, I assume. Okay. So one of my issues, and I, it maybe is an unfounded issue because we really don't know this character at all. But it's like, do we really need another character who's after Dracula who is a vampire? Because we already have Blade.
1: We do, but I think... He's after somebody else. I thought there was something going on with this white-haired character who I believe is supposed to be Deacon Frost. And I thought that okay. it was referenced in the previous issue or the issue before it where that was something he was specifically going after. Or maybe I'm getting that confused with Blade's backstory, but there was something to do with the the, the character of Deacon Frost that we just haven't gotten any background or I don't even think we've gotten the name yet. Well, I guess we'll find out in the future. Yep. One thing I did want to add before we move on on page 20, so the last page of this issue, after he kind of solves the case, he talks to his client, Adrian. She gives him a kiss, uh, like a thank you kiss, yeah, and she leaves and she has she says, You know, now I know everything you said is to be true. And he kind of smiles at the end and you see his fangs. Uh she that was she used her tongue. That was a that was a very passionate <laughs> uh kiss for someone just giving saying thanks. Uh that's a little racy, I I thought, for a comic like this that you know still has the comics code authority stamped on there.
0: She says, I really didn't believe you before, Mr. King, about the vampires, but now I know everything everything you said is true because her tongue revealed the
1: truth yep yep <laughs> went, went right across those fangs yeah and, right. and that's it's a very subtle thing maybe you know the the, the people behind the, the authority at the time just completely missed that that's funny or maybe it didn't matter but yeah that was i uh, was quite surprised a little racy there
0: that is that's good i love it <laughs>
1: Now, in previous episodes, I was doing my best to keep a kill count on each right. issue. Yeah. Um, now, in this one, we only had three. It was one human and two vampires. Um, this next issue we're going to talk about basically destroys my attempt at keeping this running anymore. So, <laughs> And we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, so this might be the last one I even bother with.
0: Okay, let's do it. Giant Size Dracula number three.
1: So, so Giant Size was running, you know, right alongside here. And this was the time with Marvel where they were, something was popular. They tried to put as much out as possible. Uh, uh, Master of Kung Fu, Spider-Man, a lot of these Giant Sizes were were going nuts. Um, and it was all, orig- most, for the most part, original content. Yeah, So, and it was
0: quarterly. These were released every quarter.
1: So it's, it, and it's quite hefty. I mean, you get, they were they were really chugging along. So this one says it's 68 big pages. Yeah.
0: Uh, but this story I think is only 30 some odd pages. The rest of it is uh, reprints of old vampire-related stories from like the Atlas era and such. Oh, okay. Uh, and so we're not going to talk about those reprint stories. We're just going to talk about the Dracula story because that's the only one that is included in this complete collection.
1: That is right. Yep. Um. So this the the story we're going to be talking about. It's called Slow Death on the Killing Ground. And I wanted to just make mention that this is a different creative team. So the regular Tomb of Dracula is Marv Wolfman, Gene Colin, Tom Palmer. Um, they've been chugging along. These side stories, this one is Chris Claremont. I believe he did the last couple. And, um, we have the artist Don Heck on this one. He did the last one too. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, and this is another artist that, you know, um, some people take them or leave them and it's, uh, but you know, they always talk, they always talked out Don was the, uh, Uh, the utility man at marvel he was able to just give him a story he'll draw it up he'll get it done so but in this story uh we basically were were following this group of terrorists led by a woman named elaine uh she is a blind woman um also a sorceress uh it's revealed she gets her powers and she gets blind in the process but she has lived for centuries uh, with nothing but revenge on Dracula as her goal, uh, as we've seen a number of times here, everybody dislikes Dracula for some reason. Uh, in this case, he killed her entire family. In this story, which takes place modern day, she kidnaps Quincy Harker, Harker who is at uh, it seems like a benefit, kind of like a black tie type of uh, gala of yep. sorts, and they are her people are torturing him for the Montesi formula. This is a formula that basically can rid the world of vampires. It cures vampirism. It has been uh, introduced elsewhere uh, in, in Dracula Lives Stories, um, which is, again, the black and white magazine that we, we haven't gotten to yet. Um, and I believe the Montessi formula plays a big role going forward. I believe Doctor Strange had something to do with this in the future. But basically, Elaine and Dracula, you know, they fight. Um, he ends up biting her, but she is end up being saved from becoming a vampire. Uh, we get the return of Catherine Fraser, who stakes her heart and, and stops her from having to live, you know, a more torturous life that she already has. Uh, Catherine being a character, Chris Claremont already introduced in uh, giant size Dracula prior to this. So, it's um. it seems like these giant size were mentioning the continuity happening, but they were going in their own direction at the same time.
0: For sure. They do mention like Dracula says, I, I believe it's in this issue. He says everybody still thinks I'm dead or something like that.
1: Yep. Yep. And we, you know, we get Quincy Harker in here yeah. and you know, they directly reference it's actually Dracula lives issue two and six of the black and white magazines, but we have Catherine Fraser and we have inspector Kelm, Uh, both of which have only showed up in Giant Size Dracula. We have not seen them in the regular Tomb of Dracula stories.
0: Yeah, yeah, these are Um, Claremont originals.
1: So what did you think of this in general?
0: This was probably the weakest story out of all of the ones in this book. I thought it was too long for one thing. Mm -hmm. It was too long, and it had a plot that didn't feel very dracula to me i mean the, the whole revenge story sure but they she basically places dracula in a series of death traps that he has to get out of uh for like half the book and it's like ah, I, I, this just doesn't feel right to me
1: <laughs> yeah it was um yeah, it's almost like they they had a, a gauntlet devised that he had to go through and there's you know bright lights and lasers and yeah. <laughs> which of course he he gets through. I will say the the transition of the art style that we're used to with the regular series to this with Don Heck drawing it is pretty jarring. Yeah, even with how he draws uh, Dracula himself, he pretty much draws him as you know just Vincent Price with a cape. Whereas you know what we're used to, there's always a. A shadowy menace and mystery to the character he's always you know he always looks a little more uh, monstrous almost whereas you know this one he just looks like a guy wearing a you know very formal suit and a cape and it's uh it's weird it's it's a little weird compared to what we're used to
0: there are a few points in here where i really think that claremont either had bigger plans and had to change them or or just didn't know where he was going because this whole thing with the Montessi formula, uh-huh. it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere at all. It's like, they make a big deal about it at the beginning. And then at, by the uh-huh. end, like they forget all about it. And so like, why, it, why even right. bring it up? Like why? Yeah, it
1: was, Yeah, it was, it was brought up and yeah, it was kind of dropped. And, and you know, it's not until the very end where we, he brings back his characters of, of Catherine and, uh, in inspector Kelm, um, I'm sure it's because there must have been something where you can't use the characters that we've been using yeah. in tuba Dracula uh, so and he still needed some people to be you know on the trail or, or figuring out what the heck is going on so um, but in my opinion they're, they're both not terribly interesting yeah. compared to our regular uh, vampire hunters we're used to
0: the the uh, the one other thing I want to bring up is that Quincy is in the hospital and on page 40. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kate comes in and it's like, you wake him up. I need him awake in an hour or something like that. Like, because she needs some sort of special information. Mm -hmm. But we don't return to that at all either. And at the end of the book, it's just one little paragraph that says... How's How's Quincy? And she says, resting fine comfortably with no complications. Like, that's the end of it. Like, we don't get to see. It was kind of pointless for him to even be in the story altogether, I think.
1: Yeah, I I feel like we haven't read those other those black and white magazine stories yet, but. I, if they really wanted to put the Montessi formula in here, I mean, why even include Quincy? Maybe they could have done it a different way. Maybe they just read about it in a text or something like that and just left it at that. If it was going to be so, I don't know, inconsequential, they basically just needed to get ball rolling here with the story just to move it along.
0: But they didn't even need to, though, because the story was moving along. This woman is driven by revenge for Dracula. They could have just stuck with that. No yeah, that's reason true. to tie in Quincy. <laughs> There's no reason to have this formula or anything like that. It plays no purpose whatsoever.
1: No, you're right. Um, and on top of all that, at the beginning of the story you know to get quincy you see how absolutely awful elaine is she kills everyone the, the she even says that the children and everybody else that are at this party this uh, this gala yeah. she orders them all to be murdered wow. um and i looked over this several times there's no number given so this is why my kill count pretty much is done <laughs> because this uh there could have been up to 50 people killed. We we have no idea. And like you said, involving Quincy almost seems pointless. But then showing this, maybe that's why to show how her desperation and and the extent that she went to to learn like her black magic and everything just warped her and really turned her into just as bad a person, I guess. But it still seemed a bit extreme. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure where where they were going with that part of it. No idea. I did also want to make mention they, they these this terrorist group brings up Allah and um, it's kind of made uh, a point that you know they are Middle Eastern but you know throughout this whole thing they're colored Caucasian so uh, I guess that's just Bronze Age for you they you know <laughs> uh, they they drop little hints at nationalities or cultures but you know they, they didn't go into any detail.
0: Yeah, well, the color palette was very, very limited back then. So you can't get the the range of actual skin tones that you could. So like Taj, for instance, is an obvious change. Like he's quite a bit darker, but um, there's not really a whole lot of in-between unless you go like the color of, of Shang-Chi that
1: that bronze color (laughs) right and i I know in the old uh, sergeant fury comics they always colored gabe gray yeah and which was like what what are they doing here (laughs) but of course you know some of this is product of their times but it almost you didn't even have to make mention that they were Islamic or anything like that because it, it really has no bearing on the story. Right. So it just, that also to me just felt kind of out of place. It's like, well, they don't have to be that. They could be whatever, you know, I don't know. It was a little weird to me.
0: Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, this next issue, issue 26, we get a lot of Judaism in this story here. And that does yep. play an important role. It's not just thrown in there, just willy yes. nilly. It actually is very significant. Uh, so this issue is called Where Lurks the Chimera? And so we are introduced to some new characters, um, an old man uh, whose name I forget, and his son David. Uh, the old man has a, uh, like a thrift sto- a pawn shop or a thrift store or something like that. Some sort of, um, he, he deals with antiquities and such. And he's got this statue, the chimera, which has the head of a lion, body of a dragon or something like that. and uh, Or the body of a goat and the, yep. the tail of a serpent. That's what it yep. is. So these people come in and attack him and try to steal it, but it breaks into parts, and he's left with just the tail of the Chimera. And uh, And Dracula apparently is on the lookout for this thing, too, coincidentally, at the same time. So they're all—and so David—the the old man dies, and David the son gets the tail end and gets thrown into this big, big, long— uh, adventure that he has he knows nothing about and he he meets up with this other woman who is going to help him uh or is that in this issue yeah yeah who's going to help him track down the uh, the rest of the chimera and her name is sheila and she's the woman that we already have met in previous issues
1: yep that's the return of sheila to the book and, uh, well, the Chimera is, of course, based on the mythological creature, yep. and we we uh, are told that whoever owns this complete statue basically is granted ultimate power. And, of course, that's kind of kept a little vague because we just need to know this is our, you know, MacGuffin of sorts for the next couple issues, next right. few issues. But uh, I believe that David's father here is, is trying to hold on to it to keep it out of the wrong hands. But the wrong hands are absolutely, you know, they know all about it and, and we actually have a couple interested parties here it's it's actually not just dracula but we 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 also see this um uh, mysterious organization of some sort is also going after it uh so david's caught up in this like you said he's caught up in well he's got the tail he doesn't know sheila has any connection to dracula and he's out the door with both dracula and this mysterious organization basically you know coming after him
0: we get a big info dump on page 65 uh, where, where um, David goes to this kind of old crone type of a character and she tells him the history of the Chimera, how it was forged 30,000 years ago from metals no longer known to man on an island called Atlantis. And then, he, then she continues to talk about how uh, King King Cull uh, mm-hmm. used, used the Chimera to bring himself some power and to gain status and stuff like that. So this is King Call is a character from uh, from Conan.
1: Yep, Kull uh, the Conqueror, and then yeah, I think eventually he was King Call. And Marvel was doing a series with him around that same time, I believe, right?
0: Yeah. And in the in the classic Robert E. Howard novels, Atlantis is that the sinking of Atlantis is the start of the Hyborian Age so that Conan and, and all of the people are a part of, because Conan his people are refugees from Atlantis when it it's when it sunk a bunch of people fled and then they Mm. went on and formed all of the different tribes that you see in the Conan books and so this is this story is stemming out of that
1: so that begs the question for somebody like me who has not read that stuff um, where does all this fit now Um, I know that Marvel has Conan rights back at least uh, comic book printing rights I'm curious where Cull, uh, specifically, because it's Cull is the one that is mentioned here, and we actually even see him in a couple panels. Yep. You know, Is there the possibility of like Cull complete collections? Uh, is there even uh, anybody who wants those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I'm curious, with this having that direct link, and then my further question would be, Tomb of Dracula, the continuity does firmly sit within our Marvel Universe proper, uh, the 616 Universe. He eventually has crossovers with Doctor Strange and Brother Voodoo and some of the others Um, we've already seen with with Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, So is this then the Atlantis eventually that has to do with with Namor and 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 all that? Or is this Atlantis different? Uh, You know, um, this is where it gets a little confusing on the whole who owns what and what is Marvel talking about here? specifically.
0: That's a very good point, because of course, Atlantis in the Marvel Universe is very firmly established by this point because of Kirby's Fantastic Four, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we also have, yeah, this second Atlantis, and I don't like Conan, I'm pretty certain I haven't read very much Conan at all, but that's not the same
1: Atlantis. And I know Marvel also then eventually does a lot more with Lemuria, which is supposed to be either, and I may be getting this wrong, but a, a sister city or uh, you know it's related to Atlantis but it was different but I know that had a lot to do with Atlantis attacks uh the big crossover in the 80s uh annuals for marvel right. um and I don't I don't know I'm curious like I said, if this is technically not canon now or how <laughs> that works – I mean it works for us because we just need a cool story, and they, they absolutely delivered it. The, the idea of the Chimera is really awesome, um, but I'm just curious where you – know, of course they weren't thinking of this stuff you know, when they're writing it. They're just writing a cool story, so yeah. – well, but it's kind of fun to look back at it.
0: Yeah. And we could go back and forth on this forever. And because we have, you know, six, seventy, 70 or 80, probably almost 80 years of continuity now for these these stories and comics is like, ah, we can't even <laughs> bother trying to reconcile everything. No, nope, not at all.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really tough. But at this time, Marvel, you know, it was still new enough where they were, they were able to have a pretty tight continuity. Um, But yeah, I don't know where it exists nowadays. I'm I'm not terribly up on my modern Marvel uh, at all. So I'll just take this as what it is. And just assume Namor and Conan are related somehow.
0: Um, well, and then if you turn the page onto page sixty-six, we see a king, and mm-hmm. I wonder if that's supposed to be like a king Richard or King Arthur or something. King like Arthur, that, possibly. Or, yeah, something. So, you know, I wondered kind of the same thing.
1: I had a couple notes here that I wanted to bring up on page fifty-eight, talking about Gene Colan's artwork. That second panel, that close-up uh, of of Dracula's face and yeah. his eyes, all bloodshot. Very well done. Very creepy. And right next to it on the next page on 59, the first panel, is a perfect example of Gene Colan. He's doing the transformation Dracula into the bat. And a lot of times he does this, like, middle transformation where it's sort of like a man-bat type of looking thing. Totally. Uh, And and it, it works so well. It's so creepy. But this is one of his very fluid I mean, it's hard for even the colorist, I think, to make the right decisions here. <laughs> right. But that's because of how his style is. And it was something I, I remember as a kid never liking Gene Colan, and man, did I really come to appreciate it as I got older. You really see what he's doing there.
0: Yeah, and there's that bottom panel where in the same page where Dracula's looking over his shoulder and half of his face mm-hmm. is in the shadow, blending into the the black background. It just
1: yep. looks so nice. And it, and his eye is still pink there. It just yep, it's very skin is gray. He just looks so good. In these stories a couple things that they they do here so we have a continued subplot with Taj uh, who as we mentioned is back in India Um, and we we get mentioned on pages 56 and 57 Marv Wolfman just touches on it briefly reminding us all Taj is there and you know he's there to speak with his wife who we haven't met yet so they're reminding us that, that that's where Taj is. And then on page 62 and 63, we're introduced to a new subplot. This one dealing with Frank Drake, yeah. who he recently, I think, had kind of a, uh, I don't know if it was a falling out with Rachel Van Helsing, but I think he had kind of a crisis of conscience where he's kind of, well, what do I do now? Dracula's dead as far as he's concerned.
0: Yeah, he gave up his whole life. In fact, he was about to kill himself before uh, in those, those early issues. Yep. yep. Uh, and uh, because he had no direction and didn't know. And, you know, all, all, he had lost everything. And so now he's kind of back, not really knowing what to do with himself. Dracula gave him purpose.
1: Exactly. Um, and, I, you know, he certainly, you know, him and Rachel had a, a thing yep. going there. Um, And, you know, he feels that, you know, there's nothing for him now. This mysterious woman kind of meets up with him. She is from... Uh, his cousin, who we made mention of, who we tried to get money from way back in issue one. I totally didn't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of cool that they have such a deep callback to further this character along. Um, but he's off to, what is it, South America? Brazil? Brazil, yeah. Yeah, with this woman um, who, you know, very strongly persuades him to come along with him. Uh, again, where were you, Comics Code Authority, for this... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this uh, steaminess but uh, well, you, you know, know it works
0: this is uh, this was the the reinvention of the comic code at this point when they could uh-huh. actually cuz you know before this vampires weren't even allowed to be in comic books
1: that's true
0: so well, they it's are funny playing with that
1: because with this with this just those final three panels where they're embracing they kiss and uh he's like man I need to really be convinced and then you see his towel fall on the floor Mm -hmm. and you just see his foot there. I mean, you think back to that famous Steranko um, uh, page from From Nick Fury.
0: Fury. Yeah. Right.
1: With him and the Contessa and and how they had to be even crazy more subtle than this. (laughs) Um, It's just funny how, how things progress. And, uh, but yeah, so that's a, that's a subplot. We're just hinted at, okay, he's going to go there. So here's another member of our, the main people we follow who, okay, now he's off doing something.
0: Throughout all of this issue, uh, Dracula really takes a back seat. He's only in really kind of two scenes. He's in mm-hmm. the scene where he uh, goes looking for the chimera statue in in the basement and sees the dead body. And then he's seen later again at the very end where he gets trapped in this building. He doesn't play a significant role. His role is going to be more in the in the next issue but this issue is all set up it's all introducing Uh new characters and new plot lines so that we are ready because this is going to be a multi-part story that's going to take us through the next four issues or so
1: yeah and this this final this this trap that he's caught in the building he's caught there by that mysterious organization that's also going after the chimera yeah and this trap specifically is basically a vault that is sealed and holy water is being poured in there (laughs) yeah so they clearly know if they don't know vampires they at least know what dracula himself is all about yeah so um it's very intriguing that you know okay well not that a human couldn't drown in that as well but they're really going after him knowing he's a vampire so it's very interesting like now, you said with the setup
0: i had just said in the giant size issue that i didn't like that one because of all the death traps that he, that has placed in and now here we are with a death trap yeah. <laughs> uh, but this one it's first of all it's only one so that's okay it's not like a uh-huh. series of them one after the other and uh and i don't know i had no problem with this one so
1: this one, again, you have Wolfman and Colin that are building the uh, suspense. Uh, and as we get into the next issue, you know, that's where we pick up on. I mean, it's a classic cliffhanger, and he doesn't just breeze through this. There's there's a struggle, uh, which obviously we, we might as well talk about right now. Yep. Tomb of Dracula issue 27. This is our final issue from 1974, December of 74. The name of the story is Night Fire. So we pick up right where we left off. Dracula is in this holy water trap. Uh, he escapes it and ends up meeting up with his associate, Sheila uh, Whittier, who is with David, who has the serpent tail of the Chimera statue. Um, he does a demonstration of what this ultimate power, this, this um, mega ability is with just the tail. He uses that. And uh, demonstrates, you know, imagine what, what would happen if I had this entire thing. Um, and basically, David pulls out the star of David, as we talked about, he, he's Jewish, and actually burns Dracula's face with it. It, it actually repulses him. Um, and they make mention that it's not as, uh, strong as, as the Christian cross, but it still messes with them, which I thought was kind of cool. Cause I don't think we've ever seen that yeah. in movies or anything uh, that could be wrong, but
0: well, and they, he, they, they specifically say that it's any symbol of a God from any faith will do that. But the, the ties to, you know, the Christian God are the ones that, that mm-hmm. are
1: definitely the most um, so not a ton happens here. We get a little character building between Sheila and David, uh, through some dialogue, uh, They're crews in the countryside in a VW bug, which I always like to see. That's a favorite vehicle of mine.
0: And so just before you go on, check out how many panels are on this page, 74, 75, and then the following 76 and 77. There are a lot of panels here because Mm -hmm. usually he breaks his page up into like four or five panels. But this one has more like seven and eight. And there's a lot of dialogue because Mm -hmm. we are building up these characters that we're being introduced to so we have basically four new characters i'm including sheila because we pretty much don't really know her anymore Mm -hmm. that we all really need to know in
1: order to make this story make sense uh correct um and to help build us a emotional connection to both of both sheila and david yeah as as we move along, as you said, a lot of our main players are not featured in this uh, trilogy of of uh, the Chimera trilogy here. What I wanted to ask you, because I found this confusing, when he displays a a fraction of this power by just holding the serpent tail portion of the Chimera. What exactly is it that he's doing? Uh, he creates a a fiery chimera image in the sky, and then it affects Taj in India on pages uh, eighty one in or seventy nine and eighty. Great question.
0: Yeah, I don't. Is that really what's happening? Know. It is. It is what's <laughs> happening. I, I don't know exactly what this is and I suspected that there based on issues that are coming up that we're reading in the, in in that we're going to talk about in this issue mm-hmm. uh, that there's some sort of deeper connection between Taj and Dracula. Okay, but I don't really know because they're very very ambiguous with the the kind of power that this statue brings.
1: Right. And that was the thing. I mean, we're talking about Dracula and and the Marvel Dracula is pretty powerful. I mean, he can raise the dead if they're already under his thrall. He can hypnotize people, make them do stuff out of character, uh, of course, turning to a bat, a wolf, mist. He just is super strong as well in general. Yeah, uh, he he is a very powerful guy. So I guess I was maybe expecting I mean, I, I don't know. I was expecting maybe earthquake could open up the earth. Could You know, he could really do some crazy damage. And I guess this sort of does that, but I don't know. I guess I was expecting something else.
0: Yeah. I think that this, the only thing that you can see is that this fire apparition sets fire to the village that he's in.
1: And both times, I mean, this thing is always in front of the moon. Um, It's kind of hard to really tell, but, but the chimera head is right in front of the moon in both places. Yeah. So I don't know if it has a tie to the moon itself or if that's just to show us how, you know, you can see the moon from any hemisphere or whatever it is. So uh, if that's the idea there, uh, just to connect us back to Taj a little bit. But it was I mean, it was interesting. It just was confusing, I guess,
0: in England. In India, you could see the moon at the same time at a certain part of the
1: night. Okay. I that think. was going to be my other question, yeah. actually. <laughs> Is, it, does that make sense?
0: If you were in New York, this would be an impossibility, but I think it's possible.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want to also make mention a couple other things. One was in the beginning. So when, when Dracula escapes his holy water trap, on page seventy-three, the second panel, he does get out of there. He he eventually turns himself into mist, and that's how he gets out. We see this, uh, you know, Dracula wracked with pain. He's screaming, and all this steam is coming out of his one eye socket. Um, I thought we were going to end up seeing him actually physically impaired, uh, maybe blinded in one eye or uh, have an eye patch, because it just seems kind of odd that they specifically made the steam come out of that particular part of his, you know, body. Very true. Yeah, of course, I wasn't disappointed or anything, but it, it, it seemed like, oh, okay, wow, that really messed him up. But then it seemed like he was fine afterwards. So I would have liked to have seen that actually have done some damage to him. That would have been cool.
0: Yeah, there's a certain amount of regeneration, I think, that happens when he goes to sleep, right?
1: Oh, yes, of course. Which is of weird course. because he's undead. But... <laughs> right. The other thing I did want to make mention of, too, on page 74, so we briefly just touch base with Quincy Harker and Rachel Van Helsing and it's subtle but you do notice her face is still pretty scarred from the previous volume we read when uh he she got messed up there uh i do like that kind of sense of continuity i like the fact that you know they're not gonna just you know oh i i disguised it with makeup or something like no that's a it's messed up like this is what happens when you hunt vampires you're you know, Quincy is, yeah. you know, always in a wheelchair, you know, here we got Rachel that, you know, her, her face is scarred forever now, it's you know, a very so,
0: important part of her character.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, i like that. Cause then you instantly, when you have a scar on a person, you instantly have, there's a story there, there's history there. And um, yeah, that's, that's, I like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, like I said, my kill count is over with, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what, what did you get up to? Uh, I wh- basically after that giant size, uh, Dracula number three, it kind of killed it for me because then I'm reading these other ones, I'm getting caught up in this story, and then I'm like, Oh, I gotta go back and count. And then I'm like, ah, I'm already don't have a number anymore because they didn't give me what Claremont didn't give me a number, it's Claremont's fault.
0: Did you have a, a total though before that giant size
1: issue? Uh, prior to that, I had. <laughs> uh let's see it was our first episode i had a total of 28 approximately okay which included vampires and we saw dracula die twice and then in our second after the second complete collection we had a total of 34 and two goats were killed <laughs> so we were there and then um the ambiguousness of who elaine killed uh it, it kind of just turned me off from trying to keep count anymore because if that happens again i'm gonna lose my brain that's right it, and it probably will
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, that's what i have a feeling in, that that fire the fire uh a chimera in the sky burned the entire yeah. town down so who knows who got killed in that
1: that that's exactly it i i, I don't know anymore
0: yeah. okay <laughs> enough of that then okay let's, yep. let's go on to issue number 28 this one's called oh. madness in the mind Uh, Let me tell you, this is my favorite issue that we're going to be talking
1: about today. I'm just double checking my notes. Uh, I think mine is the one right after this.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, both of them are really, really good. So this one, though, is um, a story about Dracula coming face to face now with the awesome power of the Chimera. And he has been captured by this mysterious organization. And in fact, David has as well. David and all of our cast has now been brought together into this one room. Uh, And what I love about this issue is that uh, everybody's nightmares or or worst fears or whatever you want to call it are, are brought to life. And so they have to face, they have to face everything. And this is a this is a, a, a trope that you'll see in TV shows and that kind of thing all the time. Usually it's kind of in Halloween episodes where it's like the, the main character or the, the whole cast of characters are going through their own hallucinations about about, you know, their, their world falling apart or whatever. This one does it really, really well. I love how not just Marv Wolfman, but Gene Colin uh, connects all of the stories so that it's at at one point you get the you get let's see you get David. David goes face to face with his his deceased father who's now telling him that everything that about their faith is a lie and he refuses to believe it and he's he's now having a mental breakdown and then one of the other characters comes and says "Um, you know what's going on um, or that's Sheila Sheila says stop crying and then it immediately goes into her nightmare like the flow of action is just it's perfect one leads right into the next and then we get her story and about Dracula uh, and then and it leads directly into Dracula's hallucinations and it leads directly uh, or and I think he's the last one, actually. But I love it. Yep. And there's a subtle um, visual cue that Gene Colan does every time there's a hallucination. All of the borders of the panels become diagonal or si- ajar mm-hmm. slightly. So they are not straight. So every time you see a hallucination, you get those. Panels that are askew and they're kind of overlapping each other a little bit, just to tell us that you know there's something not right about this scene. The guy's uh, the guy's a genius. Yep, it's it's brilliant, and I love it. I love I love um all of these. Just the mental breakdown of all of these characters is absolutely brilliant. Playing on mm-hmm. the fears that we've already known. Like we haven't known these characters for very long, but we know enough about them to know that what is being said here is drastically going to to affect them.
1: Now, one of the things we did fail to mention about David is, yes, we him and his father, you know, very uh, ensconced in, in the Judaism. Uh, he often, uh, Marv Wolfman actually wrote a lot of uh, it seems like just scripture or uh, you know words right out of the the Bible yep. um, in terms of uh, really nailing that one home to us that uh, you know his son was absolutely raised by a father who. Uh, was was very steadfast in his beliefs and and pass that on. And his particular dream nightmare sequence here uh, on page ninety six uh, is this him in front of the burning bush? Is this absolutely his faith being um, truly tested uh, as part of his nightmare here? Is that what that is supposed to be? I think
0: that is. And uh, and, and if the, in fact, the first scene, it looks like maybe he's supposed to be um, you know a ref- refugee from the Garden of Eden with the, the- Okay. clothing or whatever and then yeah mm-hmm. you see the burning bush and and even the words here say I am the the god of thy father the God of Abraham the god of Isaac the God of Jacob mm-hmm. and so that's but that's supposed to be like he's now having a hallucination that it's Satan talking to him right uh, yeah saying that Satan is actually the the god of all this lineage I I found it interesting that his name is David himself mm-hmm. because um you know this this line especially here, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. these are all the 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 people who are in the lineage um, of Jesus Christ. And so okay. uh, if you go if you follow that in order in the Bible,' it's like David also is in that lineage. He's kind of next in line there, uh, being one of the forefathers of Jesus. And so that is it's interesting that they're using him as this uh, having this internal struggle between, you know, his his own faith and Satan trying to get a hold of him or whatever. Like this is all playing mm-hmm. out in his mind, but he's and he's the one who's holding the Star of David and and holding it back, holding back Dracula in that other scene. Right. So it's kind of like he's playing a very symbolic religious character himself.
1: Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty deep stuff. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I can, I, I can absolutely agree with you. I mean, this is, this is one of the best issues in in this collection. Um, you know Dracula's nightmare vision has to do with all of our cast of vampire hunter characters getting to him which is the cover uh the cover is one of my favorites because a lot of times the covers to this series are kind of um I don't know sometimes they don't really seem story specific they're very just kind of like hey buy this comic Dracula's in it yeah this one I mean specifically you know Quincy and Taj and Blade and Frank and Rachel are all there and they're all getting him and I was so excited uh before I read this issue to be like, oh, that's awesome. They're all back together again. But it's, it's all his, uh, his, uh, it's nightmarish dream. Yeah. What I have to ask you is the very beginning before we do get into all the, oh, the, yeah. the, the thing with, uh, the, the finale with the chimera, right. uh, we, we go back to Taj in India and we see, we finally know what's going on. And on page 91, we see his son, uh, this, my jaw dropped when I saw this is so creepy Um, Very much reminds me of, I don't know if people, uh, I'm sure people watch Walking Dead or did watch Walking Dead. I'm sure it was in the comic too, how uh, the governor had his daughter who was a zombie um, kind of hanging out. Uh, so, So Taj's son is a vampire and he's here tied down to a bed. He has a, a, a line in his arm for, it's I imagine blood. yeah, is It's it... an IV of plasma or blood to always feed him. Uh, it looks like he, actually he has two IVs, one in each arm. They have garlic cloves, uh, garlic all around him. And we see actually uh, Jesus on the cross is also in that room with another cross it's basically he's been kept there as a vampire all this time and we're being told by taj's wife that you know the villagers are no longer going to tolerate this and they're going to kill him
0: yeah they're afraid that he's going to break out and kill everybody so they got to get rid of him first
1: the uh yeah and the, the as emotional as these three pages have been that that was a gut punch to me seeing his son like i wasn't expecting that that was really quite a reveal
0: one is a gut punch to him too because he didn't know that his son was still i can't Mm -hmm. say alive but undead he didn't know that his son was like this this is a complete shock And so you feel the pain and agony and he, he's mute. He can't say Uh anything. So he's has to express it all, all of his anguish in his body language, which again, Gene Colan portrays really, really quite magnificently.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah. That's how we started the issue. And then we, we, we finished up our chimera story and wow, that was just, uh, that was something else. Yeah. Um, And then they
0: don't go back to it. I'm like, Holy cow. If I was reading this monthly, it's like, that's, I would have been a little bit more interested in that (laughs) than this here.
1: Well, and that's, that brings me to my, my point on the chimera story. Uh, It does kind of fizzle. We get this cool, um, you know, uh, the, the dream sequences for these three characters, the nightmares, we never see the chimera's full potential. And then Sheila grabs it and just smashes it on a wall. And she just simply says, you know, I, I, I did that for, for the, for everyone's sake, for your sake, for the world. Um, You know, it doesn't belong to anybody. And then her and David walk off together. She's officially done with Dracula. I don't know how much we really knew of her attraction or uh, fondness for him. Uh, and, and vice versa. We didn't really know how much he maybe truly cared for Sheila being just a mortal woman that he shouldn't care for. And they leave and and he is it almost looks like he's left heartbroken, uh, which is also kind of surprising, you know, to see this this ghoulish, you know, supervillain that we've been following here have have a heart. Um, but I was really hoping the chimera was going to survive this. I mean, and you see it shattered into tiny little pieces. It would have been cool if other writers or artists picked up on the chimera s- stuff. I thought it'd be cool just to see it on a bookshelf at like uh, Dr. Strange's sanctum. Uh, it would have been a cool little nod to, <laughs> you know, cause I'm sure he has, you know, he has all sorts of crazy stuff in that, in that place. So, yeah, but yeah, it's gone forever now. So
0: the other thing that we don't find out is who the mysterious organization is. Uh, true they I have my suspicions mm-hmm. because we we get to hear the voice of the of the person who's in charge and they're using the same little let's see here on page 92 uh, where we see the chimera statue and we hear the voice mm-hmm. and the speech bubble is in this wavy this wavy outline mm-hmm. that's the same the same visual trick that they used once dr Sun became a disembodied Yes, figure.
1: He was just a brain
0: in a jar, and he could still talk. And they use that wavy outline here. So, wonder if he and happened. we get
1: well, we get hints of that this mysterious organization has ties to either China or yep. or the Orient of some sort. Yep, uh, of with the with the guards, the ornate kind of statuing that we see, uh, and uh, one of the one of the people he sent out there, Mai Ling, or I forget her name exactly, but you know she's clearly uh, Asian. Yep. So. Uh, I believe you're right. I believe it is going to have to do with uh, Doctor Sun, but, but we don't at least get to in our that out. yeah, in our readings here so far, no. Um, but it's it, if if it is indeed that, that's a, another cool subtle way that he's continuing them along in his uh, Marv Wolfman in these stories. Okay, uh, Tuma Dracula issue 29. Uh, this one is called Vengeance is Mine," saith the vampire. So this is basically our, uh, you know, follow-up to the Chimera storyline. Dracula is basically obsessing over his quote-unquote breakup with Sheila, and uh, at the same point, we see Sheila and David together. David decides that he's going to go kill Dracula while he's sleeping.
0: Yeah, good plan.
1: Yeah, yeah. We get a full flashback to Taj, uh, his wife, and his son. What happened to them? They're running with, uh, it's revealed was with Dracula and uh, other vampires. And it also shows us Taj's first meeting with Rachel van Helsing. So we the subplot's been running for the past you know six, seven, eight issues. And here we go. Um, we see why he is mute. Um, and we see truly the horrors of what he had to uh, see and what his wife had to deal with. Uh, We jump back to uh, the storyline with Dracula and David. Dracula, of course, wins that one. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because David decided to go to his castle to kill him when the sun went down. So kind of don't feel bad for him at all, because that's pretty stupid. He
0: should have really read a book about vampires or
1: something. Yeah, I mean, come on. So Dracula kills David, takes him back to where Sheila was, and I don't, you know, decided to show him, hey, guess what? I killed David. Uh, tries to reason with her and she won't have any of it. And uh, instead of anything to deal with, with him anymore, she throws herself out of the window and is killed. She throws herself to her death, commits suicide uh, rather than becoming a vampire or ever having to see Dracula ever again. So that's quite a, you know, finale. It's a great finale. Yeah. You know, the fact that we had this character of Sheila introduced kind of in a um, an interesting way. Cause she, at the time she was being harassed by, uh, by a ghost in her castle, um, in Dracula comes to save her. And then we just know, okay, so there's, there, you know, they're still friends or roommates. There's nothing going on there. And it really got pretty, pretty intense there. And, um, you know, now Sheila's gone, but it was, a all of a sudden, you care about that character. Uh, and it's funny because I cared more about Sheila with this, and I cared less about David with this. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of how, you know, they both decided to, you know, Marv Wolfman wrote these characters out. But it was good. Uh, this this one is my favorite issue uh, that we read here. Uh, that Origin of Taj. Uh, yeah. Wow. That was absolutely intense. And talk about panel layout. Uh, I imagine you'd want to talk about the flashback here. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Panel.
0: Uh, they do a really, he does a really good job of these wavy lines. Not only does that tell me, because he's done flashback panels in other issues here. And also the next issue, he'll do a flashback panel where the, the corners are just rounded to indicate uh-huh. that it's a flashback. But this one, we get wavy lines. And I really feel like that conveys India, in a sense, being okay. in the desert and like the heat. Oh, okay so kind of conveys that it, that's what it makes me think of at least and then when you flip the page and you get to page 117 those wavy lines it's still a flashback but they become solid wavy lines mm-hmm. if that makes sense they're not as wavy i guess i see what they're you're just saying more curvy
1: um the fact that these panels are in general kind of just yeah almost amorphous blobs yeah. uh even, even with the wave, you know, nothing is a straight line. Um, it feels, it, it makes you feel kind of uneasy because yeah. that taken in with the story that's being told here is um, the, the whole situation. And this is about three pages. That's a flashback. It is sad. It's it's disturbing. Uh, It's horrible, really, uh, what happened in particular at the top of 117, where we see that there's a vampire holding up his son, and then he's in the the background because Taj doesn't see him. But the caption here says, "Uh, then you saw one of the monsters and its tongue flickered hungrily at our child. You said you tried to free yourself from their leader's grasp, but it was already too late for the creature drank your son's blood before your helpless eyes. Uh, that is terrifying. Yep. <laughs> and it's also revealed here that, you know, the reason why he can't speak is because of what happened here. Um, yeah, Dracula
0: his... tried to bite him, but it actually bit into his vocal cords.
1: Yeah and I believe they even showed that he kind of also ripped into it with his hands too. Uh I thought there was something oh, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. with that it
0: tried to crush his throat. Yeah maybe it was a little bit of both because he's uh-huh. not Taj is not a vampire as far as we know. I mean, we've right. seen I think pretty sure we've seen him in the daylight and stuff. So he's not a vampire. so maybe it wasn't bite marks. I thought that he got bit, but no. I think he was just crushed.
1: Yeah, it was uh, yeah, basically with his his strength it it crushed his his uh, voice box basically. but it does say on the top of one eighteen, uh, his wife says after the vampire's fangs ended your voice forever but I didn't see the bite we saw right. the the, yeah. the his hand do it so I don't know maybe that's it why was I both. thought
0: <laughs> that it was a bite that's right mm-hmm. uh, at oh. the beginning of this flashback I just want to make a note on page 114 the mm-hmm. visual Uh, cue that it goes into a flashback by having um, Taj's wife's face kind of be wispy into the next panel and her eyes kind Mm -hmm. of going. I I love that little thing there uh, to show that it's kind of, she's telling the story.
1: Yep. There's not a lot of artists that would even think to do something like that. Very cool. Uh, It almost seems kind of Ditko-esque. Yeah. 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 I I love that too.
0: Totally. One final note that I have is that uh, when, when the vampire is holding up Taj's child on 117, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the proportions of that child, Look like the child is maybe about three years old. Sure. But then the child that we see tied down to the table is about, looks like he's about eight. Yeah. And that would make sense if five years has, has passed. But if the child got bit at three years old and became undead at that point, wouldn't it stop growing?
1: That should be how it is. Either that was something they overlooked or. I don't know if we've gotten official word if vampires. Well, no, they can't. Unless there are no such thing as vampire children. Maybe they stop growing at a certain time, but that still doesn't make sense. Yeah. So. I would think yeah, that if you
0: were a bit as a child, you'd stay at that age forever because your body literally stops, your cells stop developing. Yeah, it down. should
1: be. Yeah, it. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. So, yeah, that I think it was just kind of a. Yeah, he does. He doesn't. Well, it's really hard to say because then <laughs> in that top, in that top row on the fourth panel there, you see the vampire laying down on the ground, and now that kid does look a little bigger, you know, with the perspective. So it's.
0: But if you go back to the previous page, page one fifteen. There's uh-huh. the uh, the the third panel in the middle tier where the child oh, is yeah. laying on the ground. That child. Oh yeah, he's, is basically, he's basically a baby. Looks like he, yeah, <laughs> it looks like he's crawling. Uh
1: so I no, don't. Know. You're right. I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, um, one thing I wanted to just make mention, just because we keep talking about how great Gene Colon is, is uh, on on the bottom of page 122. Uh, those two panels with Sheila. Um, Yeah. Those are so well drawn and, you know, I'm sure the anchor helped with this, but you know, I know that, you know, girls or women faces particularly are very tough to draw because you have to be so minimalist with the lines and uh, the, the look of, of anguish and and horror and then the screaming in the next panel. It's so good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I would be surprised if he didn't use photo reference for okay some of yeah it,
1: it looks like a photo drawn i mean it's it's that good so yeah i just wanted to make mention of that because it's it just looks so great absolutely really does
0: okay the final issue we're going to talk about today is uh, issue number 30 tomb of dracula 30 and this this issue acts sort of as a coda or an epilogue of of the the previous story that concluded in the last issue, it's called "Memories on a Morning's Night." Morning M O U R N, like because Dracula is now mourning the the loss of Sheila Whittier, whom he apparently loved. Yep, uh, and so. He in order to kind of uh, to help him through this, Dracula decides that he's going to write down some uh, some stories in a diary, which he apparently has this big book of stories that he's written. But uh, this is this is the basis of Dracula lives is all of the stories of Dracula's past, I think, in this in this big book. So we get three tales. We get three tales of Dracula from various different ages. Uh, the first tale is the tale of this woman who is married to a baron who is in in line to be a king. King? Is it a king? I can't remember. Anyway, leader, leadership of some sort. He's in contest with another baron of equal importance. And so one of them has to defeat the other. So she arranges for Dracula to kill her husband so that this other guy, it's a a power play on her part. So she can be with the more powerful person, but it all backfires on her. Uh, second story is a story of a little girl who is blind and her parents have a domestic d- dispute that ends up with them the mother being shot and Dracula who formed a little connection with the girl goes in and kills the husband thinking that he is avenging the little girl but in the in the end the girl was just so innocent didn't real d- doesn't understand what's going on and and hates Dracula in the end which is an interesting story we'll talk more about that later and then the third uh-huh. story maybe the more most significant out of them is looks like the very first meeting between Blade and Dracula, where Blade comes under the guise of wanting to be a partner or like a a hired hand for Dracula and says, you got to meet my other friends who also want to be part of your, your crew. And they lead him into a cave and try to kill Dracula, but it doesn't end up Uh, Going the way that Blade
1: had planned. Mm -hmm. So the three stories were specific to uh, Dracula being still broken up with Sheila's death. Um, He's writing basically in his diary of three other times he either failed or was played for a fool.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. So those are the connective parts there.
1: Yep. That's the overarching. um, And when he's done with these three remembrances, you know, he, he remembers that, you know what, he's still undefeated. He's basically still the master of, you know, his own destiny, regardless of these times that he's failed um and you know it ends with him laughing defiantly into the night um but the thing
0: is he fails all the time every issue in this series is like he tries to kill harker and everybody and he always fails
1: there's a moral here you know you know you got to keep you got to keep moving on you know you can't let your failures stop you and (laughs) That's what Marv Wolfman wanted to tell us well, right. you know, slaughtering children. Follow I guess. Dracula's so... <laughs>
0: example; you can <laughs> exactly. be the ruler of the damned.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. What would Dracula do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what uh, of these three stories? So that that first one uh, that has ties to World War One because it has to deal with uh, uh, Otto von Bismarck, and uh, they they explain how eventually he was assassinated and you know, that started the, the first world war. So that kind of oh, puts it in that yeah, time frame.
0: I uh, was, I'm not up on my world war one history enough to have recognized I I mean, I knew Bismarck was a familiar name, but, um, but yeah, this is a uh, interesting. I love it when they do that. They take real life events and show how yeah. Dracula's influence actually got the ball rolling on some of these big, big disasters.
1: And I, I actually, I aired, it was uh they say at the top of 134, it was Bismarck's policies that led to world war one. Because it was the assassination of uh, Archduke Francis Ferdinand, who they say was the thing that started the catalyst that started World War One. But but yeah, that was that was the whole thing that was going on with with that with that Liza uh, Strang woman. Then then like you said, you had Melanie, who was a blind girl, and you know she yeah her parents are having their domestic dispute. She has a run in with Dracula prior to you know anything happening to these, and he. Uh, similarly, here takes a fondness to this little girl in terms of just he sees the innocence in her, and is actually kind of um, I don't know warmed by that. Uh, he doesn't see he doesn't he's not going after her to you know kill her or anything. Yeah. Um. And he hears a gunshot go off inside uh, the girl's house, and um you know the the husband did something horror you know on ac- kind of on accident, but you know he he clearly you know killed his wife. And then Dracula kills the husband because, you know, your daughter would want you dead knowing what you did to her mother. But this turns on Dracula because the little girl says, how could you kill my daddy? I love my daddy and is punching him. him, I hate you. I hate you. Uh, At the bottom of 137, there's actually a pretty powerful, just silent panel of Dracula just standing there and taking the hits as she's she's punching him. It's amazing. Um, That was really... Again, another another very disturbing uh, little story here, but uh, it it showed that you know, you know Dracula shouldn't care for really any humankind in anything more than hey this is uh, this is lunch, and we got another story here where you know, he took a fondness to to a child, but um, even
0: more so, he thought he was actually doing the right thing, right, mm-hmm, by killing mm-hmm. the the father and tr- bringing about. Um, vengeance uh he thought that this was he like he was trying to act in her best interest uh-huh.
1: which is also
0: uh-huh. something we don't see from dracula very often
1: right well his, his ego would blind him to the fact that she would think differently yeah he just assumes that he knows it's it's a very you know almost a very typical kind of supervillain type of thing this is something dr doom would would have the same type of You know, uh, realization, he would think, oh, well, this is what anybody would want is how I would do it because. But Dr. Doom
0: would do that because we've seen Dr. Doom have, you know, um, actual moral compass at times as well. But Dracula Uh not. He would do that for his own purposes, like seek vengeance, but he wouldn't go out of his way to seek vengeance on behalf of of another person that ha- it, it and, and it doesn't benefit him in any way whatsoever. That's true. And I think because of that, this is why he says it, this was a failure for him because he thought he was doing the right thing. So he's never going to do that again. He's not going to let... Uh, Yes, his emotion get the better of him.
1: Um, And then we we got this Blade story. Now, Blade looks very youthful. And it took me a second to realize why, Uh, because obviously this is early Blade, but he is a vampire hunter. Uh, But he doesn't have the the facial hair. Yeah, we've seen him so far drawn with like a beard or a goatee. And, and, and he, he doesn't have
0: burns it. And stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh so I'm like, why does he look so different? How did they manage to make him young? And that's that's, that's just so funny. Is that's all it was. They just didn't have him have a beard. <laughs> um but uh this was interesting because, you know, basically Blade lures Dracula to a place. He, he tells him, hey, you know, me and my, my buddies, we want to help you uh, rule the world. You know, come talk to us, lures him into a cave. Blade has four, you know, basically friends, uh, fellow vampire hunters. They do the wooden knives trick uh, and they actually get them. But then it's said how you know Dracula gets resurrected by one of his one of his followers and then slaughters everybody but Blade. So I'm curious if we see Blade in the future of this series talking about these are clearly close friends of his.
0: And one of them still alive.
1: Oh, is that right? They did leave one? Oh, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's
0: four of them in this cave. And then at the very end, he says, today, three of that group are dead. So there's four, four right. of them plus Blade. So that's five guys. Three of them are dead. That means Blade and one of these other guys is still alive.
1: That's Yep, you're right. So I, I guess we are going to, it's bound to happen. We are going to see one of these guys again. Um, and it does show that one of these guys are the inventor of the, the wooden knives. Yeah. And we later see that that's, you know, that's clearly that's Blade's go-to weapon in this series. So that's a cool little, little you know, not necessarily origin, but a cool little uh, character beat that that was something that he got from uh, these guys. So of these three, which one was your favorite?
0: Definitely the middle story. I really okay. thought uh-huh. that uh, it showed a lot of Dracula's character uh, through that, through through what he did with the little girl there.
1: I definitely agree with you. Um, I'm curious if we'll get another one of these little early Blade stories where he finds his green shades.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be good. Totally. Wow, there we go. So we've gone through half of the, the book, not not including the Dracula Lift stuff. We've gone through half of the content talking about it today and we'll be back next week to talk about the the next half of this but uh and I haven't read ahead yet, so I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. But let me tell Neither you, am I am very excited to to learn more about um, Taj's son, because they left that hanging yeah. right now for us. So we we don't know what's going to happen.
1: That, and I want to know what this uh, South American trip is all about with Frank Drake. That was left just teased, yep. and uh, I don't know. I, I Why would he be going there? I'm curious how that's going to tie in. So they marv wolfman does a very good job with this series to keep you humming along uh clearly you know it's a fan favorite series for a reason and and this is part of it it's it's very much so many moving parts and he does a great job at teasing stuff to keep you interested yeah
0: well josh thanks again for uh, joining me on this episode and uh, we'll be back next week to have more dracula talk
1: all right sounds good thanks for having me